0: The future of business is responsible.
1: El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. A
0: conscious co-mingling of growth
1: and impact. 女性平權。Le futur du business est conscient et responsable.
0: व्यापार का भविष्य विकटनकारी और टिकाऊ है. The
1: future of business is intentional and transparent. De toekomst van bedrijven zal de combinatie van kennis, creativiteit.
0: Welcome to Future of Business, a podcast run by a team of MBA students who takes you behind the walls of the business school to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories embedded in the Oxford MBA cohort and beyond and how they will shape the future of business. My name is Rudolf Okain and today I'll be speaking to Ashraf Mizo. Ashraf and I are both MBA students at the University of Oxford Science Business School and today we'll be talking about his entrepreneurship journey. Welcome Ashraf. Thank you, Rudolf. So Ashraf, I know that we've had several engagements and conversations and all the wonderful things you've been doing. But today I wanna to specifically talk to you about entrepreneurship journey and how you got yourself into that sector. So maybe you can start by introducing yourself and let us know what you do. Um, so my
1: name is Ashraf Nizu. Uh, I'm from Khartoum, which is the capital of Sudan. Uh, I have a background in electric and electronic engineering and social entrepreneurship. Um, I started off my entrepreneurship journey working on something called human-machine interface systems. So very deep uh, engineering work. Uh, We looked at different alternatives for interacting with devices. And I worked on something called gesture control. So imagine opening or closing your hand to pause or play music, or making a right or left hand gesture to change a PowerPoint slide. And that got me into the field of electronic prosthetics. So These are prosthetic limbs that read electrical signals from muscle activity, and then um, you can control the robotic hand. Um, and that led me to start uh, Nyla Prosthetics, um, which is uh, a company specialized in developing and distributing affordable high utility prosthetics for amputees in Sudan and hopefully uh, in the region. We also connect users to occupational opportunities such as access to jobs, vocational training, and microfinance.
0: All right, that, that's interesting. but. Let me ask you, how would you describe the entrepreneurship market in Sudan? Is it something that is blooming, coming up, expanding? That's why you call yourself into entrepreneurship? I think the entrepreneurship
1: market and ecosystem is still very much fragmented in the country. Um, access to capital, um, access to different learning, access to actually contextual learning. Um, I feel like there are a lot of resources available on the web. Um, around entrepreneurship and how to start a business, but I think oh, the missing link is how do you do it in an ecosystem um, like Sudan, for example. Um, but I think it's definitely it's definitely being much more contextualized. I think there's a big movement, especially with the younger generation, starting companies that um, sort of are fit to the Sudanese market and Sudanese ecosystem uh, my entrepreneurship journey, I feel very fortunate. I feel like a lot of doors uh, opened up for me that I was able to um, sort of leverage and utilize. Uh, but
0: i wouldn't I wouldn't say it was conventional. Okay. so would you say there was a particular instance that made you want to say, "aha, now I want to go to entrepreneurship?
1: Um,
0: it's very interesting. I, I don't think I ever described myself as an entrepreneur.
1: Um, we uh, when we started developing, I was, still, I was still a university student. Um, I then went to a conference at Northwestern University um, in North of Chicago, and there was a Forbes reporter at the conference, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to be featured um, in the project, um, and I was like, absolutely, <laughs> um, and then I remember the day the article came out in Sudan, a few uh, companies reached out and said that they wanted to fund the project, um, I took it with a grain of salt because things never really materialize in Sudan. But actually, one of the companies came through. Um, they wrote me a, a big check, especially as a, as a fourth-year student. I didn't know what to do with the money at the time. Uh, but we used it to really develop sort of the product, the prototype. At the time, we wanted to develop something that would suit the socioeconomic environment of Sudan. We're still working on myoelectric prosthetics. Um, I thought technology was the way to go. I think developing technologies, uh, was the way to deliver, um, a good service. I could not have been more wrong, <laughs> but, um, and then sort of we built a partnership with a research lab in Tokyo and things started to open up. Um, and I guess it's just, it was a, it was a journey every time a door opened and I would like enter and like it would lead to another door. I wouldn't say there was like an aha moment where, um, I thought i was going to get into entrepreneurship or prosthetics or know how it would end like
0: oh, okay know. so let me ask is there any reason for that specialization in prosthetics and what kind of spectrum of services do you provide in that space As Nyla.
1: okay um the reason for specialization i think that's a it's a great question um for amputees so people who lost uh limbs or part of the limbs um It is heavily skewed towards people with lower limb amputations, So people who lost part of sort of the leg or feet, um, with the minority being people with upper limb amputations. Um, And the reason why we got into upper limb um, prosthetics is that there was a big gap in the market in terms of the services and the products provided for upper limb amputees because the numbers were heavily skewed towards lower limb amputees, because there was a notion that having uh, physical mobility and being able to move from point A to point B was more important than having a hand function. You see that um, the funds um, the products the services they were all uh, going uh, they were heavily oriented or heavily skewed towards lower limb prosthetics uh, with a negligence towards people with upper limb uh, amputations. So we saw even though the market was smaller but we saw a big opportunity in serving people that have long been neglected and underserved.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, that's really good. Okay. Um, so, given that the market wasn't really available for that, what has been your strategy serving the market so far?
1: Um, again excellent question um we we had two strategies one when it came to like developing or distributing the actual products in terms of uh, uh logistics and the second was how do we how do we latch on and integrate with the already existing infrastructure so in sudan for example and it's a it's a very similar case in other developing com- uh, countries in in east africa uh the industry of prosthetics is either um controlled or um provided by the state or by international organizations working in the field. So in Sudan, it was the Ministry of Social Development that had a subsidiary called the National Authority of Prosthetics and Orthotics that was sort of the national body for providing all of the prosthetic and orthotic services in the country. That body worked very closely with the International Committee of the Red Cross that has for decades, provided uh, technical assistance and training for states. They provided the raw materials for creating uh, something called the sockets, which is an integral part of the actual prosthetics. And then also the terminal devices. So the feet or um, the joints or um, the actual peripheral part of, 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 of the prosthetic limb. Um, and because of that partnership, because it was, it was state operated, but also funded uh, by international organizations, it created some sort of dependency in the field. So states became dependent on these international organizations to provide these services, the training, et cetera, et cetera, but also caused stagnation in development of the actual products, right? Um, Again, if something is heavily subsidized, if something is As we've seen um, heavily contributed through international organizations or the humanitarian sector there isn't a lot of innovation that happens when it comes to the actual products and the product delivery and service delivery Um, so that was sort of the environment that we entered in but we still saw a lot of opportunity in working and integrating with that infrastructure So the National Authority of Prosthetics and Orthotics, that state body had a lot of sort of distribution channels. It had centers across the country. And we thought that if we could integrate and create something that would work with their products or with their um, uh, uh, sort of uh, technical capacities, uh,
0: we could expand uh, our delivery. Oh, okay. So is it a case that currently you are in collaboration with? the government either the government agency or a private institution how, how are you seeing it through right now <laughs> um i always thought
1: that um private public uh, partnerships is the way to go in sudan um we in the business school they teach us a lot about sort of your non non-market strategies okay. and non-market environments and i think For a lot of businesses especially small businesses your internal capabilities are a function of your sort of non-market environment or non-market strategies Um, so we felt that if we were on the good side of the state if we were integrated within the infrastructure and the channels of the state it would give us longevity in terms of operations it would give us breadth but it also give us um, reach Um, we were very lucky in that We're unlucky at first, we're very lucky. We, uh, Sudan, for those who don't know, was under a th- 30-year-old dictatorship starting from 1989 until 2018. We had a big revolution in 2018, went through a lot of ups and downs, but emerged victorious. Uh, we overthrew um, the 30-year-old dictatorship. Uh, we then had a transitional technocratic government for a year and a half after that, that Then, unfortunately, we had another coup back in October of 2021. So we were operating under three different political environments. Obviously, that is the non-market environment that we were in. And our business was heavily uh, affected um, depending on what sort of political environment we were under. So under the 30-year-old dictatorship, all the partnerships that we tried to create were... It was very tricky. Um, The... International organ, the National Authority of Prosthetics and Orthotics and their partnership with the International Committee of the Red Cross was very strong and strong in the way that they sort of shut off and closed to any other external collaboration. Um, I remember the meetings with the head of the authority and the head of um, the Red Cross Committee at the time. Um, and I, I walked out very unhappy. Um, and there's... The International Committee of the Red Cross, because of that partnership, because of sort of the 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 corrupt environment, they fought against any effort of domesticating the industry. Uh, it was it went against their sort of um, uh, best interest uh, to have a company like us or an external company come in and like change things up. Uh, When we had the revolution, when a new minister for social uh, development was instated, we saw a lot of uh, shifts. We had a very good relationship with the minister, uh, and obviously that trickled down to the national authority of prosthetics and orthotics. We had an influence in choosing the person that was going to lead the authority, and then things started to open up. Um, Then collaboration became so much easier. Then the International Committee of the Red Cross had to had to confine to um what we wanted um it's still a a dynamic that we have to It's still a game that we have to play but um it, it definitely changed a lot and now we're under very sort of murky waters in terms of the new political regime that people don't really understand so it's been six seven months now we don't really know who actually is controlling the, the country, and obviously the the partnerships that we have instated before have been uh, somewhat jeopardized. But um, yeah, we're hoping for the best and see how we can
0: how we can move yeah, forward. Yeah, I guess it's fair to say that your pest analysis keeps changing with time because you need to know how you're dealing. With yeah, them. absolutely. And with people seen as a threat, even though you're a new entrants coming in and trying to just see how you can grow the market from there. Yeah, the, absolutely. The... We
1: we love us some framework talk, huh? I know. <laughs> uh,
0: so, yeah, but so given all this, how would you say the advancement of health technology mm-hmm. has helped the disability inclusion? And how is it changing that sector? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it's a very, very, very big
1: question. Um, when I started this journey, I thought that AI, um, and additive manufacturing, for example, or sort of the fourth industrial evolution technologies were the way to go. Um, again, I could not have been more wrong. I think they, they have a, a big role to play when it comes to this type of work. But I think the real innovation needs to happen in sort of the operational side of Of the businesses so in terms of delivering the services um, it needs to happen in sort of the accompanying services um, uh, that come with assistive technologies right so what we realized is so our mission from the get-go was the social and economic inclusion of amputees in Sudan and hopefully the region Uh, we thought that could happen through creating these prosthetics and technologies yes they have uh, they play a big role But we realized that we needed to accompany our products with, um, again, like I said, occupational opportunity services. So to ease the process of this economic and social inclusion, um, one of the latest programs that we ran was um, microfinance program on which we we give uh, amputees, our potential users, access to small business training. So we teach them how to separate personal accounting, how to separate um, sort of business accounting, all in a very local and contextual language. We give them a micro microloan um, and obviously the prosthetic. Uh, and the prosthetic component helped with raising self-esteem, um, sense of independence, mobility, so raising their performance capacity. And then the access to loan, the training, um, and then we help them start a small business, so a small Our kiosk, small agricultural project, small brick production facility, had a list of projects, and then they would repay in in installments, right? So it's like the prosthetic raised performance capacity, and then you give them access to some income generating activity. And then that was sort of our formula for social economic inclusion. I think there's a lot to work on there. Uh, I think when where the technology comes to play is how do you how do you how do you develop these products and services whether it's fintech services or uh, insure te- insurance tech services or the actual prosthetics in terms of manufacturing them at an affordable price point then technology comes to play but when it comes to like creating the products themselves or innovation within the product i think we're we're still a long way from that and we need to sort of develop
0: and innovate around it oh that's quite interesting because uh I, I i get a sense that uh nyla has created this integrated model where you're trying to give autonomy by helping them with the limbs mm-hmm. and also giving them access to capital to do something with their lives yeah. trying to make up for the lost grounds which is quite interesting Then that means i guess Funding will be key for your project because you need to fund the design of these prosthetics. You need to fund the way their business is being started. It's a startup. I'm guessing there will be a lot of SMEs where not uh, not every time of the business does well for them to pay back. Mm. But you also need to sustain the business. That's that's quite interesting that you're doing over there. Yeah, funding is uh, <laughs> it's definitely the key word. <laughs> yeah, that's that's straight. So would you say that's the major challenge being faced by Nyla? funding um i think it's it's definitely one
1: of the bigger challenges i think um um, again i've been i've been fortunate enough to be connected to a lot of local players that were able and are still able to fund but also access to more global western network Um, i think the problem with with the funding is that you need to show one traction, but you need to have a clear strategy and plan moving to the future, right? I think that's those are the two components that would make the funding process uh, accessible. I think when it comes to funding, the issue that we always face is, what do we have to show in terms of future plans working in such an uncertain environment, right? We uh, went under a 30-year-old dictatorship, overcame that. Under a transitional government, things started to open up. Um, The country was uh, thriving. uh, Sense of morale was very high. And then we had another military coup that really changed everything, right? So very low morale everywhere you go. No clear sort of like administrative um, a governmental structure and we don't really know what the what the future is gonna look like right so I guess in the equation of funding having traction something that you have done before plus clear future plans the clear future plans component is is somewhat missing
0: or somewhat foggy right high uncertainty yeah
1: so it's like if we we need to get that clear we need to have clarity on what we're gonna do next and for us um, when i came to oxford we were still operating under a a more stable regime right Um, the plan was to become the national supplier in the next two three years by expanding our partnerships with governmental bodies so we had we were working with the ministry of social development we were planning to work with sort of um, the national defense um, military we thought that was the way uh, to go and then we wanted to expand into more of a financing institution for people with disabilities, right? So one, expanding the assistive technology portfolio. So we provide upper limb prosthetics. We want to provide lower limb prosthetics, um, other types of orthotic devices and assistive technologies. And that would expand the portfolio of people with disabilities that we're able to serve, right? And then we wanted to expand on economic opportunity models and programs, so access to microfinance, access to microinsurance, et cetera, et cetera, and we wanted to scale into the region. Um, Obviously, that really changed with um, the change in sort of the political tide. Uh, So I guess that is what is missing from the funding uh, equation. But I think with the Oxford Network being here, being able to tap into so many uh, smart, uh, innovative people were trying to work what, were trying to work out what the future is going to look like, and I think when it comes to funding, uh, it will be so much easier.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I can see the point where you are back in the UK in Oxford studying, then all these things happen when you are aware. It changes your business plan, it changes your models, and yeah. it just throws you off. And it, I I think that's one of the challenges of being an entrepreneur. You can never predict what happens. Mm. in the future, but like you said, when innovation comes in. And, and I hope the situation in Sudan gets much, much better. Thank, you, thank not, you. Not just for the business, but for the citizens and everybody as well, because mm. uh, everything that must be done in the country, I think it depends on the morale of the people mm. and the high morale, actually ginger people and, and them to try and do something. So I hope things open up. And I can see that the Oxford MBA is actually equipping you because now you're going through the challenges so now you're seeing how you can use the tools that you are being introduced to in oxford to see how you can mitigate these issues and mm-hmm. solve them and like you said with the broad network of the cohort and even the bigger oxford community mm-hmm. i mean I, I i do know that there are access of other things services that you can tap into to see how you can help you in in the journey in in, in sudan when it comes to nyla and you're doing actually quite well because it's not just about the prosthetics that you are giving but also doing the funding side which which uh, I will be happy to see it come to tuition, And (laughs) and hopefully you start probably opening a branch in Ghana and and, uh, the bigger sub-region, because uh, it's something that you're doing, you're bringing other people, you're giving other people opportunity, Mm. and disability inclusion is not something back home in Africa that we normally, it it sort of comes like an afterthought, that, oh, we forgot these guys, but I think we should put them at the front and center because they are Mm. the guys who are disadvantaged, and we need to carry them along as we go along. So yeah, but I also have to ask you this question before we go. Like, right? you've been in Oxford a couple of months. Uh, I know you're a very great basketball player, which <laughs> you surprised everybody at the M That's the NBA tournament back in France. Wow, I, uh, it was quite a surprise, and you guys won. And congratulations! Thank, you for, thank uh, you for winning that tournament. So, what would you say is your favorite activity? Let's say probably aside basketball when it comes to the University of Oxford. <laughs> Um, I love playing squash, actually. Um,
1: Coming to Oxford, obviously, there aren't many opportunities to play outdoor basketball. I'm not sure if you guys have heard the UK does not have the best kind of weather. Um, (laughs) The university itself is not very big on basketball, so access to indoor basketball courts was a challenge. But access to squash courts, man, you can play squash any time of the day or night. Uh, in so many places in oxford uh so i picked that up um i think it's a great way to like socialize with a small group of people we always say we are we're a big cohort 355 people and every every time we get a chance to like really socialize and like engage in a more intimate like cl- close circle it's really good and i think i was able to do
0: that um through squash all right i suggest that Maybe you teach me how to play squash one of these Absolutely, days. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Right, Ashraf, it's been wonderful having you, and it was great talking to you. Well, thank you.